everybody thank you for tuning in once again this is pop and schlock live uh we are nkpft hd houston um sorry for the uh inconvenient start i'm just uh troubleshooting i wanted to make sure that this uh show actually went on the air this week <clears throat> so um for those of you who uh, may have missed last week's fiasco um i want to uh, take some time to address it um last week uh, the show was meant to go live, as it always does, but I was out of the studio. Uh, I left the studio and the show in the hands of my co-host, Meredith Nudo, who um, failed to send us into broadcast. Um, and we would like to apologize for that. I know a lot of people were listening to the stream wondering if maybe it was a joke of some kind. No, it wasn't. It was just an honest mistake. And uh, Meredith is very sad and uh, very apologetic for uh, what happened last week, as she should be. It was terrible. It was, as I said in my press release regarding the situation, a terrible disaster on par with uh, the Hindenburg incident or that time that I tried to date somebody that I worked with. So that's where we're at. Uh, this week, it's just me. Um, and for that, I feel like the best way to explain exactly what happened or what... Uh, what I'm doing with this show this week is uh, best communicated through song. Um, I am not, I, I'm not signed to a label. I am not signed to any particular uh, record company, but I feel like I am um, the greatest musician of all time, possibly. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure feedback from the show will let me know one way or the other, but I recorded a little show, uh, a little ditty th that I'd like to play you right now about uh, what exactly uh, happened to Meredith. So if I could just pull that up real quick here we go you all I know but you forgot it before the show so the air went black but I came back and now we're good to go. Because we loaded Meredith into a cannon and we shot her into the sun. And now I'm back behind this mixing board and the show is at square one. The confusion, it was palpable and everyone scared when Meredith pulled an oopsie and no episode was aired but we loaded Meredith into a cannon and shot her into the sun and now I'm back in the studio to make sure the show gets done And 
and that is uh, the name of my new number one hit single, We Shot Meredith Into the Sun. Um, I should probably clarify. Um, I... Uh, I bear no ill will towards Meredith. I'm just a professional, and I like to uh, handle things in my own personal way. Um, as we get into the show this week, we're not talking about any particular film in general. It's just sort of a pop culture rundown, the things that I care about, because I have a platform, and I'm going to use it. Um, to those of you who are following along on Facebook Live, I apologize if you don't hear any of the music that I play. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, my technological expertise of how this mixing board uh, situation works, um, while admittedly miles beyond uh, what Meredith is uh, apparently able to do, still not quite uh, up to snuff with uh, what you would call a professional. Um, I'm still learning. We've only been doing this for a few months now, and uh, there are some things that I'm still trying to get the hang of, so I apologize for that um, in uh, whatever way I can. Okay, so... Um, for those of you who are just joining, uh, thank you for listening to KPFT, Houston 90.1 FM. This is HD2, and this is Pop and Schlock Live. Um, if you haven't listened to the show, uh, or if you're just tuning in for the first time, or maybe you have some sort of retrograde amnesia, uh, the show is, generally speaking, a uh, description, uh, commentary, critique, analysis of pop culture, whether it's uh, current releases in theaters, or we're talking, sometimes we talk about television, sometimes we talk about classics, sometimes we talk about... Um, all manner of pop culture. Uh, it can come from any corner of existence. Uh, I, myself, am uh, an educator. Uh, I teach uh, literature to high school students. And uh, at one point in my life, I did want to work in the world of uh, television film production. That was something that I wanted to do. And I studied uh, quite a bit of, you know, uh, screenplay writing, um, you know, cinematography, that sort of thing. So this... Uh, what 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 once could have been a personal journey for me eventually just turned into a hobby and uh KPFT has been kind enough to give us a home for this show which started its life back in 2013 as a podcast on the interwebs and we going forward whenever the show uh reached its end in its original incarnation I didn't know if it was going to come back I really didn't uh I was not entirely sure what I was going to do with uh, the show. I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to be doing with this this idea of, you know, recording myself talking about pop culture that uh, nobody else had seen. And uh, I do give credit where credit is due. Meredith is the one who uh, introduced me to the fine people here at KPFT, and she's the one who got the ball rolling at this, uh, at this particular location, and she's the one who has driven a lot of the decisions about this show. Um, she has been an excellent partner uh, in all of this since we started, um, her inability to work a mix board notwithstanding. So... I do want to, for those of you who are just tune, tuning in, I and for those of you who are longtime listeners, I want to take the time to maybe reset a little bit, which is something that I haven't done um, since the early aspects of the show whenever we start, first started in January of this year. Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what the show was supposed to be or what my mission statement is whenever I walk into the studio every week. And really what it boils down to is... I look at uh, online film criticism and print film criticism, and I look at what people say about the media that they consume, and I felt it to be lacking in some way. And that's not to say that there aren't good writers and there aren't good um, analysts out there doing good work with modern pop culture and what have you. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. 
What I am trying to say is that it is worth it to sit down and talk about pop culture in somewhat of a different way. Uh, somewhat of a way where if we look at it from, like I look at it from the way of me being perhaps a more of an educator's standpoint. Uh, I look at films the same way that I look at, thank you. Uh, I was just joined by Don Freeman, who uh, knows how to work this mixing board better than me or Meredith combined. Um, so I, I look at, I look at analyzing pop culture through the idea of, I want to look at it at, through, I focus on analysis. That's my thing. And so whether it's a piece of uh, pop culture schlock that I found back in a catalog in the, buried in a drawer somewhere at my previous job, or whether it's something that's sent to me, or whether it's something that's playing in the movie theaters in this given weekend, I want to talk about it from an analytical standpoint. And there are some things that some people would argue you can't talk analytically about, but I'm going to attempt to prove them wrong. And I think uh, Don jumped in the chair because he heard me saying that I was going to talk about WrestleMania and try to analyze the uh, storytelling decisions that they've made in the lead up to that. And I'm pretty sure that's why he's here. That's that's the only reason why I'm here. Yeah. he, he Otherwise, he could care less about my existence whatsoever. No, I don't like this man. No, he, he hates me. He hates my, <laughs> he hates my guts. Um, but WrestleMania is something that regardless of the quality of the show over the last few years, I still managed to find myself getting excited about it. Uh, and I think that is derived from the fact that I've been watching uh, professional wrestling, sports entertainment, as Vince McMahon would like to call it, uh, ever since I was a very, very small child. Um, back whenever the ropes were still red, white, and blue, and you had uh, the... I was drawn to the over-the-top over characters. I was drawn to the storytelling. I, the same way that I got into comic books and all of that sort of malarkey, Wrestling was kind of a gateway for that. So this year, WrestleMania 34 returns to New Orleans, a uh, major stomping ground for WrestleMania. And I am, for better or worse, I am excited about it. Uh, I know me and Don had a slight conversation before the, uh, before the show started about it, teetering on the edge, walking a razor's edge between being uh, an exciting spectacle or just a raging dumpster fire. Yeah, pretty much. Um when, whenever you think about wrestling, of course, if you don't care about wrestling at all, you're just like, okay, who cares? Um, but if you ever watched it, everybody always comes back around WrestleMania season. Why? Because all of favorites that you like usually are back. Um, your Undertakers, your The Rock, um, which sounds weird. You're The Rock. Uh, <laughs> um, your Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, your classics. And this year we have what one classic is Undertaker, and that's possibly a, possible. Possibly. So this this is one of the years where you really have to look at wrestling and go, okay, are they really trying to sell me on something? Like, of course you have Shane McMahon and uh, Triple H, who's been there forever, um, and Stephanie, and you have Ronda Rousey, which helps out with a lot of people tuning in because they want to see Ronda Rousey. Like, yeah, okay, it's, it's going to bring in the casuals just in a, ooh, I want to see that kind of way. Yeah, and and see what she can do. But the problem also is, one, one thing they're doing with Undertaker, which is pretty smart, is not showing him on TV, just in case. You know, and with Rousey, you can show her on TV, but don't have her physically do anything. Yeah. When you have her do something, people look at it and go, that's not really wrestling. Mm -hmm. You can't really talk. You can't really sell me on this match and that's a problem because she's supposed to be this big seller of matches but she's scripted 
Yeah, and I don't know. You can tell watching what we've been presented of her so far that she's not quite comfortable in that scripted part of it yet. And the question that I have going forward, I'm I'm excited to see the match at uh, at WrestleMania. I want to see what she does, how she handles herself. Like I, I admit that I've kind of drawn into the sideshow attraction nature yeah. of it, but at the same time, if you've watched what they've done with her quote unquote character so far, they're going to have to do something after Sunday to keep us invested because that whole I'm just happy to be here thing that she's pulling right now is yeah. not going to work in the long run. I'm just happy to be here has never worked in wrestling. No, um, I don't think it works in life. Uh, <laughs> whenever you do things, you have to have some kind of intensity. You have to show people that you actually know what you're doing. Um, Ronda Rousey isn't doing that. She is just happy to be there. She's she's almost in over her head. Like UFC is easy to sell. And by the way, Conor McGregor, I'm sorry about what you did. Um, I don't know why you got so angry. But um, Ronda Rousey in UFC is great because you can sell people on matches just by going... I'm going to kill that person. Here's a swear word to show you I'm going to kill that person. Mm -hmm. Then after the match, you lose, and it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I, I'm going to cry in the ring, and I'm going I'm to walk out. And that's I, that's the big thing that I try to push people whenever I talk to them about how I like professional wrestling. The whole thing is the characters are what draw me in. Yeah. Um, and this year's WrestleMania, there are so many matches where I'm just invested personally in the people who are putting on the performances. I... I look at something like the, you know, I, I'm, I never thought I would see the day where I would see AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura in a WWE ring fighting in what is ostensibly the main event. Because, and we, we all know it's not going to live up to the Wrestle Kingdom match no. that they had a few if, years if ago. If you expect that, you're crazy. No, but just the sheer, I can't believe that I'm seeing this nature of the match. And it's going to be, I've noticed a change in Nakamura's ring style over the last, since since the Royal Rumble, he's been playing it a lot less safe. And mm -hmm. he's, he, he has a tendency, or it seems I've been picking up on a tendency, where he, as a performer, will phone it in when he doesn't feel the stakes. Yeah. And since January, I have seen him embracing that old fire that I saw whenever he was wrestling for New Japan. And AJ's always going to be AJ. You yeah. know, AJ's got a natural charisma that works. I'm really invested in that match. But at the same time, uh, the card is really stacked with a bunch of matches that I really, really want to see. Um, I will I will go to bat at times for Roman Reigns. Yeah. Um, as a character, I feel like he's starting to come into his own. He's starting to feel a bit more comfortable in his solo role. He's still got a way to go, and he's never. I mean, he's never going to be a The Rock again. That sounds weird. <laughs> a The Rock, um, but for the era that he's working in, I feel like his character is finally his, coming into his own. His character's fine. I think the the problem is is that whenever you have bad guys and good guys you can't tell people that you're gray i'm not bad i'm not good i'm just the guy well that's not a good sell yeah and, and it's, it's, a, it's a terrible sell and it's one of the reasons why i get frustrated with wwe's programming is most of their characters seem to fit in that mold unless you are kevin owens yeah and kevin owens is just that damn good yeah and kevin kevin is a lot different and kevin has got the universal title he's got the WWE. well he hasn't no, he's never won a. He hasn't. Uh, he hasn't WWE won the title. world title. He's had. He's had the U.S. Intercontinental Universal. Yeah. He needs a tag title and a world title to complete the circuit. And Kevin, Kevin, to get that. Um, and Roman, Roman has pretty much completed the wheel, but Roman, 
I think Roman is one of those people who, whenever you looked at the Shield, which is his team before he got on his own, you look at the Shield and you go, well, it's clear WWE is going to push Roman Reigns because he's a big guy. Yeah. He's, and WWE loves big guys. But at the t- same time, they they put the belt on Seth Rollins first, mm-hmm. which was a big move because that's Tyler Black from Ring of Honor. And it's like, okay, this is some indie guy they're giving a belt to. It was, it was a very big statement at the yeah. time. You were just going, maybe, hmm. But at the same time, with, with that, it was because Triple H pedigreed somebody. And I was yeah. like, oh, man, why does Triple H have to be in it? Well, because you have to hate this guy. Yeah, He's a heel. Like, that's the whole point of being a heel in professional wrestling is to be hated. And if you're not hated, then you're messing up. You're doing something wrong. Either that or people really like how good you are as a heel, where they go, Oh, man. And you turn the corner like Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was a very good bad guy, who was such a good bad guy that people were like, no, he's a great bad guy. I love him. Yeah. It's and like, then, no, he's a good and guy. And then now. that moment at WrestleMania 13 where mm-hmm. you did that double turn with him and Brett. Yeah. And that was just, it was such a wonderful, palpable moment. And things like that don't happen that often anymore. No. We don't really get those kind of storytelling decisions. And so, I, I won't say that the storytelling in WWE is flat out bad because sometimes they really do they they'll lean into a concept and they'll 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 hit they'll have fire on their hands and they'll strike while the iron's hot and it'll work um i i'm a little perturbed with what they're doing like one of my one of my favorite performers and i if you would if you would have heard me saying this two years ago you would have slapped me in the back of my head i love braun Strowman. i think he's one of the best success stories they've had in a long time and i feel like he deserves better than what he's getting but he is constantly every week coming out and doing great work with his character and building it to the point that every time his music hits you want to stand up and cheer and that is what wwe does so well whenever they really have something on their hands sometimes they don't realize it which well i think with braun you you look at other performers that have been in wwe and you look at like a um so many guys um you, you look at ryback and these other big guys that they were trying to build up and it's always okay you're gonna go fight big show you're gonna go fight kane mm-hmm. you're gonna fight the same people to go wow this is the next big guy but with braun it didn't matter you, it wasn't about who he fought or who he beat braun was just good and he was likable good yeah regardless of what they bagged him with like they he was coming out as a a peon for uh bray wyatt as like just one of the family and he was a big guy for the family he wore a mask he was a ripoff of uh eric rowan and he went from that when the bray uh wyatt family broke up he was on his own and it was like is he going to be good and WWE looked at it, and I was there the night when they started Braun Strowman, and with the enhancement talent <clears throat> thing that they yeah. were doing on the because they they were they were starting two uh, wrestlers at that time. That was Braun Strowman and Nia Jax. Mm-hmm. Both people, when they came out, a lot of people don't know how WWE works. So, whenever you have a wrestler, you want to build this person up. What they do is they take a camera to the top, where these people know they're not on camera. So they take a camera and they say, oh, we're just getting the, the wide shot. But they're not getting the wide shot. What they're doing is recording the people who are way in the back and see if the kids cheer. Because you got to remember, those are cheap seats. Mm-hmm. So if you're cheering without being on camera, that means you actually care about it. Yeah. So th- they were watching for Nia Jax and uh, Braun Strowman because they believed in those two people. Like they didn't watch for anybody else. 
they're watching for those two to go, okay, we're going to put the rocket on them and push them to the moon. And look at them now. Like, Braun Strowman's going for the tag team titles, and Nia Jax is, Jax is going for the women's Well, title. the thing that I like about that is with Braun, Stor- with Braun Strowman, what I like to call the storytelling decisions that they've made with him, it's very organic. It yeah. was very much a, they went with the direction of wherever the tide was pushing him, because he started out as being this monster, monster heel. And I remember... Well, dis- technically. I remember... Dis- <laughs> I remember dis- he started off as a rosebud, but yes. But I remember... He was dis- a banana. <laughs> I remember distinctly the program that they had him doing with Sami Zayn whenever Mick Foley was still the general manager and the last man standing match yeah. and things like that where they built him up it didn't matter who he was fighting they were building him up as being you know, they did they did good things for Sami Zayn too they showed you know that was like oh the the heart of the fighter and then yeah. you had Braun Strowman who just showed he had no soul because <laughs> he destroyed Sami Zayn who it's it's like you know if it, Basically, fighting Sami Zayn before his heel turn was like fighting the most adorable puppy. It's like yeah. he's like, oh, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but this is gonna hurt. Yeah, you know. And so it worked. What? And then organically, people just started enjoying Braun because of what he brought into those matches, and that it's the it's the same thing with. Uh, and God, I wish he was back on TV right now. Samoa Joe. Yeah. Um, they pushed him <clears throat> as being this just amazing. Just he is going to knock your jaw off of your skull every time he walks in the ring. And despite the fact that he came off as a bully, people still enjoyed seeing him work. Yeah. That match with that he had with Brock Lesnar last year at Great Balls of Fire was probably the best match anyone's gotten out of Brock Lesnar in the last three years or so. Well, that's that's by design, isn't it? Because yeah. um, Bro- Brock Lesnar fought um, Kofi Kingston. That was a horrible match. It was just it's a jobber match. And yeah. when whenever he fought Joe, he knew that he needed to put over Joe. Yeah, he might win because when he fought Braun Strowman, he squashed him. It looked horrible. It was mm-hmm. Braun Strowman was like okay. He he was built up as this powerful guy, and he went against Brock Lesnar and it took one f five and it was over. Yeah. It's like, oh God, this is 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 booking like that that you're booking from behind. Um, they are making it where it's like, okay, we get rid of Braun Strowman, but at the same time, when you look at Braun Strowman and his career and what he came back from, whenever people are booked that way, they usually go into obscurity because it's okay. You were the big guy. Thank you for coming. You had your shot. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, and and now whenever we have like a a small person we're gonna go you know who you're fighting tonight braun Strowman, and he just comes out and loses and then goes back home what mark henry was doing before he is put in the hall of fame yeah and there there are storytelling decisions going into wrestlemania that make zero sense whatsoever to me Mm -hmm. um the i if you want to talk about the is this a heel is this a face dynamic the i was so taken aback by the way they handled Shane McMahon over the last couple of weeks because if you have half of a brain or any sort of emotion, you're seeing that Shane McMahon is in the wrong and they're trying to push him as being the, you know, he's like, oh, he's just, you know, he's the good guy in this situation and I just don't buy it. And now I'm looking at it going into WrestleMania with him teaming up with Daniel Bryan, who I was so happy. I I was so happy to see him come back, although I'm still a little wary. Like I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm afraid that something bad might happen. <laughs> all I I got two words: diving headbutt. Yeah, if he if he does that, then he should be fired. Well, it's the the thing that scared me was the, the night kicks. the night that he 
announced he was cleared, and they let Sami Zayn just halluva kick him in the corner straight that, to the jaw. Yeah, that one... That scared me. The halluva kick didn't bother me because I, I kind of saw how he pulled back on it. What bothered me was the... The power bomb? No, the, actually, the power bomb was fine. The drop kicks that Daniel did. Yeah. Because that was the one thing that was, wasn't protected. Uh, Daniel Bryan, I don't know if he understands this, but last time he came back, he was doing those drop kicks in the corner, and he falls straight on his head every time he does a drop kick. That's dangerous. It's it's insanely dangerous. And I, as I was watching it, it looked like he was trying to protect himself with his forearm as he came down. Yeah. But <clears> still, it's it's, it's one of those things where it's a razor-thin line. And the last thing that I want is to read a really sad headline about Daniel Bryan. Because yeah. I'm really happy that he's coming back, and I'm happy for him. But I hope that he takes the measures to protect himself. I'm also a little upset that his return isn't a bigger deal. Because WrestleMania is so stacked right now, and the conversation is around so many other matches that I feel like it's kind of getting lost in the shuffle, which is unfortunate. It is, and what the problem is is that both the matches on Raw and SmackDown mirror each other to a dizzying degree, where almost every match, like they had two triple threats for the middle belts until they changed one of them to a four-way. You have the people who are running the um, Raw. Versus people who are running raw. It's like, what, what's going on? Yeah, you, Why are we you, doing all You've got this your stuff? authority figures yeah. versus another team. and Authority figures for, versus another team. It's yeah, like, that's, Why it's, are we doing this? And it's the matches themselves I'm excited to see. I'm just a little bit confused about the storytelling decisions that got us to where we are. The only build that I think has been... Um, 100% effective has been the triple threat for the Intercontinental title, and I think that a lot of that just rests solely on the the square shoulders of the Miz, who's doing god tier level work as a yeah. heel. Um, and which is very difficult when you have Finn Balor, who's very milk toast. Um, I, I think Finn Balor, like people would get upset if somebody would say Finn Balor's milk toast because well, you go Prince Devitt is awesome it's like but, okay but, but finn mm. but finn balor is one of those people it's and and my wife uh she's like god i love to look at him but please keep your mouth shut yeah and it's i mean i i agree he's not a great promo or he hasn't been since coming to america he was fine and um i forgot where he was at uh, new, he was in new japan but before that but um he was fine there because you didn't really have to do much he had yeah. bullet club behind him yeah you have bullet club okay you have this all this whole group behind you yeah, you're fine. You can do whatever you want to. I mean, you're trying to build yourself right at now. At that time, Bullet Club kind of coasted on the idea of just the aesthetic of like you've got, you know, it was Prince Devitt, and then you had Carl uh, Anderson, and you know the Samoan, you know, Gorillas of Destiny, all of that. Mm -hmm. It just they looked like an imposing team. They didn't have to say anything. No, it's only that and we plus they were Americans in a Japanese sport. Yeah, so they they fought an American style. And everybody who was Japanese style was like, oh, what's going on? This is yeah. a change of It was a, shock. It was a real guards. shock to the system. And it, it wasn't really until, I guess, uh, whenever you got AJ taking over and then Kenny Omega that it kind of got into the, okay, Bullet Club has a personality yeah. associated with it. Um, Especially with Omega. I yeah. think Omega did a lot more than AJ. Yeah. Uh, AJ was just there for a cup of coffee. And then Omega came in and then you had the elite. And with the elite, it's a it's a totally different thing because you have the Young Bucks and Omega being the top tier of 
and pretty much they they did NWO red and black. Yeah. Then you know, and besides, that, and that's a you know not a lot of people follow. Or <clears throat> I, I don't want to say not a lot of people, but a very small contingent of American fans follow New Japan and Ring of Honor, and that's another thing I'm looking forward to for this weekend. Is it's not just WWE that's going to be in New Orleans. It's like every wrestling organization yeah. in the world comes together to that one city, and they just put on a weekend of professional wrestling. And I'm really looking forward to uh, Supercard of Honor. Yeah. I really want to see that. Kenny Omega Cody match because they've been building to that. You want to talk about storytelling? They've been building that for a very, very long time, just chipping away at each other over the last year and a half, yeah. building to this one moment. And I, I really wish we could see more of that in WWE on that mainstream stage. But it's the same way that I complain about storytelling in comic books nowadays. That everything is you know written for trade paperback. It feels that same way with uh, with WWE. It's they only think like one network event at a time and never yeah. beyond that. And part of that is also, I feel, because they get cold feet about, you know, oh, somebody's <laughs> going to get injured in the next 30 seconds Yeah, because it feels like it. And plus, I mean, we're living in an internet world where everybody wants this instant gratification. And that's, that makes everything very difficult, especially when you're on every week. Like Breaking Bad, yeah, it's on for a season, then they're gone and they can ramp up everything and you don't know what's going on. But with WWE, everybody is always there. You're constantly in front of people's faces three days, well, four days technically out of the week. That's a lot of work and it's a lot of wrestling and it gives you no time to breathe. It really does. And that's one, one thing that I do appreciate about the brand split by having Raw, having SmackDown, having mm -hmm. NXT. I can kind of pick and choose which I want to follow. And, you know, whenever the brand split first started, I was very heavily pro SmackDown because they were yeah. putting on consistently good shows every week. But something seemed to have taken a turn around the Vince. late. <laughs> Vince. Vince noticed what was going on on SmackDown. Because at, at one point it was only Road Dog booking SmackDown. And Vince McMahon, he noticed SmackDown had Talking Smack. He didn't like that. That's why it's gone. And they had, um, like, the the way they were building storylines. There was, like, like even, um, what's it called? Um, Fashion Files. Yeah. He never saw Fashion Files. He saw it once. It was gone. Yeah. It's like, oh, man. He, he ruins wrestling. <laughs> but at the same time, he creates it. So it's, it's a weird thing with Vince where... It's like wrestling, wrestling fans have the weirdest relationship with Vince McMahon yeah. in that like we respect what he built but we just question every decision he will ever make and largely it's because once you know it's you know and you know once you drive your all of your competition out of business yeah. and you have no competition what's to stop you from doing every crazy thing that pops into your head and sometimes that doesn't make for the best storytelling which is I, you know, I, I tell my wife that I watch wrestling in spite of itself. Yeah. <laughs> that it's it's very very hard to come out and say, you know, I'm I'm a pro I'm a pro wrestling fan because a lot of the decisions make no sense to anybody who doesn't watch it. Yeah, it's <clears throat> you, you you can't watch it for the actual like when, when we say watch it for the storylines, you're not watching it for the actual storylines. You're watching for what do they give you as a storyline, knowing that. Okay, but behind the scenes, this is happening, yeah, and it's it's so much other stuff involved, and it's almost like the WWE at one time wanted to embrace this is what's happening backstage, mm -hmm. but then they get in characters, and then they have like these fake things in the back, and it's like, okay, well, this is what we want you to know. It's like, no, yeah. just either you're gonna do it or not. The fact that it, the entire 
professional wrestling community, the group of fan, the group of fans that still follow along, pretty the much smarks. Kn- they, yeah, the smarks. They know. all the backstage drama with people like Triple H and they know how the business is run. It makes it so much more frustrating whenever you see like something being handed to them on a silver platter and them not doing something with it. We talked a little bit earlier about Rusev, how over Rusev is like almost it, it came out of nowhere and it's to the point where they threw him onto the U.S. title match at WrestleMania because I think they were afraid if they didn't, the entire show would be hijacked by Rusev Day chants all night long. Which would be great. They should have left him off and just have Rusev actually come out there and be a surprise guy to ruin something. Yeah. and Have him be the spoiler. Yeah, like let's say Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, if that's closing out, have him ruin it. Have him ruin something. That that would be a lot better way, and plus that's that's the way they booked Daniel Bryan, is they booked him where it was like okay, well you guys like him despite us not giving him anything, all right, well this is the way we book him. We book him in a crazy way that doesn't make sense that you hate, and at the end of the day you get to cheer with everybody else and you go off air and we we just pretend to be mad that you get your way. That's that's the fun part about it is they let you down to build you back up yeah and it's it's kind of like an abusive relationship sometimes you just like but i know it can be so good yeah (laughs) and if only if it's like yeah but i remember the good times remember the attitude era yeah remember early 2016 it's like okay well we we are very abused as wrestling fans but that's but, but we enjoyment. love it. That's that's part of the fun of it is you know torturing yourself over what could have been. It's it's almost Murphy's law in a weird way where you look at wrestling and instead of it being everybody always loses, you always lose. <laughs> so you being always a loser, it's a reason why people watch things like um what's it called uh what is it with not John C. Riley um the show that comes on Showtime with. Man, I forgot what it's called. But yeah, it's it's Murphy's Law. It's a, a show that's all Murphy's Law. Atlanta is technically technically a Murphy's Law show, um, but it's a show where your main characters always lose, and you get upset about it. But at the same time, you can't stop watching because they get little small wins. Except wrestling is the opposite, where the the show does that to you, where you always lose, and then you get little small wins, and it's like, yeah. Got it. I, I feel like the last time I was 100% happy with the product, watching it every week, was when Kevin Owens was still the Universal Champion, because I was completely on board that Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho train. I enjoyed just I enjoyed watching them get away with murder every week. I didn't really care about who was chasing the title because the the faces in those storylines they were kind of interchangeable and not all that interesting to me because I'm one of those people who really prefers Seth Rollins as a heel. So whenever he yeah. was chasing the title, I was like, you know what? I, I want Kevin to win this one, and I don't well, care how. It doesn't make sense also that as a face, as a good guy, because we're using inter- inside the terms that people are like, I kind of watch wrestling. I have no idea what they're saying. Um, as a good guy, he has a move that's a curb stomp. Now they call it the stomp which sounds very stupid. It, it has uh, like eight different names now. They yeah. call it The Stomp. Uh, they call it uh, The Blackout, which was what he called it in Ring of Honor. And every once in a while, someone will slip up, call it The Curb Stomp. But it's essentially, that's, I mean, that's a heel move. Yeah, it's, it's a bad guy move. And it's, it's, 
it's one of those things of this is disgusting. And WWE was like, okay, we got to stop calling it the curb stomp because this was a reference to yeah. American History X and a bunch of other stuff. But normally, most of people go to American History X. Yeah. And <clears throat> and the weird thing is also Seth Rollins cannot do that to everybody. Like Brock Lesnar is always the best person to do your finisher to because he always makes sure it looks good. Yeah. Um, but then you turn around and do it to Daniel Bryan. You yeah. can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that move to Daniel Bryan. Um, it was called Shameless, the TV show. Was oh, Shameless. There yes. we go. That's a that's a very obvious Murphy's Law thing. Like, this yeah. family will always lose, no matter what. The Gallagher family. Wow. Everything just comes to you once you get the name. But, uh, yeah, wrestling is just... It's a weird thing. And then when you watch it, you have certain wrestlers that you could kind of see yourself as. Then at the same time, you could go... Ah, None of these people, because that, that's the thing that made Stone Cold so good, made The Rock so good. Because when you had Stone Cold and The Rock being on top, you had a guy who you could kind of see yourself as, the everyman. If it wasn't Stone Cold, it was Mick Foley. Yeah. Then you also had The Rock, which was somebody you kind of inspired to be. Yeah, you're like, oh, man, I wish I was that yeah, cool. Yeah, I wish I had a Louis Vuitton shirt that cost $1,000. Yeah. For what? I don't know, but it's cool. Um and and then you had Triple H also. So you had these two guys on opposite spectrums. Well, technically four, but it's two on each. Um, and it was like, okay, this is the everyman. And th this is what works. So you have, now we have John Cena and Roman Reigns. Then you have Daniel Bryan and technically AJ Styles. That's that's your everyman. That's the closest you could get to everyman besides Kevin Owens, of course. Yeah. But he's a heel. Um but yeah, that's your your people where it's like, okay, is this matching up to what Randy Orton, Booker, um, Randy Orton, Batista, John Cena, and Edge was was your last class? Yeah. So I was like, ah, eh, it's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, and some of the, and I will say that some of those were more successful than others. Like I I never thought of Randy Orton as anything other than boring. Yeah. And I never really was a huge fan of Batista. I feel like he, the fact that he left and, you know, found his footing as an actor, that was mm -hmm. great. Now, Edge is one of those guys who, yeah, he really came into his own once he hit that main event scene. Edge, and, when when you remember Edge's like all career. All wow. time, all time great bad guy. Yeah, because Edge's career, for a long time, he was just guy on the wrestling show. For a long time, like it, he was, because he, he was a tag, a, he was a tag team. Yeah, guy. he went from a tag team guy to wearing a long coat, walking out there, pointing up at the sky. We didn't understand anything. It was like, okay, his finisher was electric chair drop, and all of a sudden it was just okay. Bring him up, and truthfully, it's because of what he did with Matt Hardy and mm -hmm. um, uh, the Lita. Lita angle. Yeah, yeah, the Lita angle, which was a shoot. It was real. It was. He was having relations with uh, Lita, and she was yeah, dating they, they turned Matt. That, they turned that relationship drama into a real storyline, yeah. and it, it worked. It just, it, like gangbusters. I remember being glued to the screen that whole time. I, I was glued to the screen for that one, and I was glued to the screen for Jeff Jarrett versus Kurt Angle. Um, that was the only time I actually cared about TNA. And now look at where both of them are. Yeah. Um, and that was because that whole storyline... and. And plus, is is different. I thought Kurt Angle triple. I mean, Kurt Angle and um, Jeff Jarrett was better, even though the execution of it horrible. But the story behind it is great because Jeff Jarrett. You can't write stuff like that. It, yeah. it, it comes off as too seedy if you try to write it. But exactly. Whenever you pull it out of real life, 
you're just yeah, sitting there is, and you're just like, I, I can't look away. I can't. Because you see Kurt, and then all of a sudden you see his wife, Karen, and then Jeff Jarrett's there, and Jeff Jarrett ends up with Karen, takes the kids and the wife, then puts it into a storyline, and then they have them fighting each other. This man literally took your wife away from you while you're on drugs and out of your mind, and you're yeah. it's like the craziest thing. You work for this guy. That's your boss who took your wife and kids away. How do you... How do you function? Like if I, yeah. that's I mean, if my boss took my wife and kids, I, I can't work here anymore. I'm sorry, but it's too hard. It the fact that they pulled it off at all is astounding, and it's I, I think it points to what makes wrestling work is in order to get over. If you connect with the fans, it comes down to you've got a personality that works. Yeah. you've got a personality that really sings. So you've got. Um, you know, people like Edge, people like Kurt Angle, even to an extent, you got people like Jeff Jarrett that can play that crowd and just, you know, keep them in the palm of their hands. I remember when Edge came back at that Royal Rumble a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I remember being, I was just like, my head exploded. I was like, yes, this is, you know, this is one of those all time great moments. And the fact that you're able to build that relationship with the watching audience and feed off of it the way that they do in WWE and in, you know, different professional wrestling organizations around the world, that's what draws me in, yeah. really. So I am looking forward to WrestleMania this weekend, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, I'm a, I might miss the KPFT birthday, but it's for a good cause. It's for <laughs> WrestleMania. Um, but I, I think <clears throat> hopefully we get either... I, w- I want to go to WrestleMania, well, watch WrestleMania, and either be very, like, entertained or be very upset. Yeah. So that just you, one of those. Just two. so that you got something to talk about on the following Monday. Well, for me, Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to come up here Saturday morning and just do a show. It's like, uh, please don't. I'm trying not to crap on wrestling. I'm trying not to. It's, it's just, it's in wrestling fans' blood that that's what we do. Yeah. You know, it's like... Uh, this weekend's like loaded for me because on Saturday, um, before I'm watching uh, NXT Takeover, which I'm also looking forward Wait, to, I've NXT got NXT Takeover is Friday. Is it Friday or is mm-hmm. it Saturday? It's Friday. Saturday is the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, you're right. So I've got that on Friday. Mm-hmm. Saturday, uh, I've got uh, the Astros game. I'm looking forward to that. You, you want to talk about love hate relationship? Yeah. Up until about a, the last few years, that was the same way that I felt about pro wrestling. I felt about the Astros, and I, I, I I'm convinced that certain seasons of the Astros' career is what eventually uh, killed my granddad. Oh wow! He, he, he never missed a game. Never missed a game. But sadly, he passed before they went to the World Series. Hmm. So I'm looking forward to that, and then WrestleMania on Sunday. So I've got a I've got a good weekend ahead of me, and then at some point I got to sit down and watch A Quiet Place, which is what uh, we'll be talking about on the show next week. So, and I'll probably also this is tangentially tied to wrestling. Go see uh, Blockers, which has uh, John Cena. That opens this yeah. weekend, uh, which has been getting good reviews. So the the reviews on that is are ridiculous. Yeah, it's, people have been saying it's great, and I'm like, okay, I'll. Uh, it looks horrible. It looks so horrible, but the reviews great, are, but the reviews are coming in, and I'm like, okay, so maybe I'll be checking that out. Especially before they tank the reviews, you know. Yeah. Ever so often, they have to tank the reviews just because trolling is fun. Yeah. And I don't to get some that. people. Yeah, I don't get the trolling phase, but. People go through it, and then you figure out life, hopefully, one day, and then you wake up and go, oh, you know what? Maybe I could be a human being. <laughs> Let's try that. 
uh, like speaking of trolling, the one, one of the things I was going to talk about is last week uh, they finally dropped uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi on mm -hmm. home video, and the first thing that I did when I got the disc is I didn't go back and watch the film straight away because I've already seen it like five times. But uh, they had a documentary on there. It was uh, the director and the Jedi about Ryan Johnson and his like his journey to get that film put together. And watching it, you could see the passion that he had for yeah. putting together that movie, and it just made me. It made me feel so upset the way that there was this targeted campaign to tank that film, because I thought artistically it was a it was a very strong film. It was beautiful. It was and it had you know some of the best cinematography of any Star Wars film I've ever seen. I enjoyed the practical effects. Mm -hmm. It was I had so much fun watching that movie, and then just I felt like I was in the eye of a storm, like the eye of a tornado, because everybody else seemed to be just taking gigantic dumps on this film and I really couldn't understand it. Were there parts of it that I didn't like? Of course. Like yeah. I felt like there were some things in the script phase that I didn't like. There were some choices as far as plotting and pacing that I didn't care for, but overall I really, really liked it. Um, and that brings me to I, uh, I started the show with uh, my first hit single. The second hit single I uh, recorded earlier today uh, I wrote it I wrote it <laughs> it's from, a hit though yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a hit this one's gonna get massive amounts of airplay but it's written from the point of view of uh, a couple of fans who didn't quite care for Star Wars The Last Jedi um, this one is called Ryan Johnson did everything wrong Hey, Ryan Johnson, he made a Star Wars film. The fans, they turned their hate on him. Oh, Ryan Johnson, he was not at all afraid of angry fanboy wrath. Brave, brave, brave Ryan Johnson. He was not in the least bit scared to fill his film with porgs or to make his Luke a grouch and Poe into a big moron to garner bad reviews and to have his reputation soiled and destroyed, Orion Johnson. He killed Snoke and Ray's parents were nobody at all. Your childhood was ruined and everything is terrible. Oh, George Lucas, please come back. You know we missed the trequels. Oh, go to hell, Orion Johnson. Very powerful stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to launch my music career immediately. I yeah, swear. I, I can see it. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes it's hard to be me. Um, sometimes you have people who have so much talent and really bear their heart out in front of you like that. And for you to play that while I was here, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't expect this at all. And I'm sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm tearing up a little bit, but I have to keep it together. And, um, yeah, that well, was a thing. You just, that's the best way to describe it. That's going to be what's on the <laughs> album cover. It's certainly a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing that exists. It's something that I did. Uh, I spent time and effort to mm -hmm. actually create that thing. I don't know why I did that. Uh, I could have been doing something far more uh, progressive or intriguing with my time, but that's how I spent my, <laughs> that's how I spent my afternoon. Uh, so, did you, Where'd you master that at? Uh, on my iPhone in a closet. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, makes, that makes sense. <laughs> Thank you, GarageBand. <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, I I'm glad I got that out of the way. Um, I'm sure that uh, Meredith uh, can probably hear that through the airwaves as she's on her way blasting to the sun. Uh, the I don't know if you were here for the first single that I put out, which was called We Shot Meredith Out of a Cannon Into a Sun. Uh, okay. <laughs> because uh, that's what we do around here. Um, looking as we go into uh, the final part of the show, I just wanted to... Uh, 
apologize to anybody who's not into wrestling who may have tuned into this show. I'm sorry. I didn't really mean to turn it into my uh, rant about WrestleMania Power Hour. But um, as my wife knows, that's going to happen at random intervals at any point in the yeah. day. I, I don't know a show that I do that doesn't talk about wrestling some kind of way. I... I have to stop myself whenever I'm in a classroom in front of students from somehow relating whatever it is that we're doing to wrestling. Uh, right now, we're reading Macbeth, so it's really, really hard. Yeah. Because I'm like, you know, Shakespeare wishes he could have come up with something nearly as impactful and long-lasting as, It was me, Austin! <laughs> it was me all along. Which, I that, that will be on my brain on my deathbed as <laughs> far as, like, one of those things that I'm like, Oh, come on, really? Yeah. I, I remember so bad. It was it was so bad, and I'm, and we should have seen it coming. Too. But that, that was the the point in time where wrestling was all about the shocking reveal. Like when, and oh, yeah. I think one of the better ones was um, Eric Bischoff being the guy marrying Chuck and Billy. It didn't mm -hmm. make sense, but, but it was shocking. It was shocking. It was like, okay, why is Eric Bischoff? It was like because they they took the camera off of the um, guy marrying them, and then. It went back to him and it was like, oh, he took off his face and it's Eric Bischoff. Why? Yeah, there, there was the whole storyline didn't make any sense whatsoever. And that's one of the things that I love talking about wrestling, like in retrospect, is all the storylines that made absolutely no sense mm -hmm. whatsoever, um, and, and the reveals that made no sense, like the uh, Hornswoggle GM thing, oh, yeah. and <clears throat> just because. And I, I don't know what's worse as a wrestling fan. Whenever you accurately predict the ending of something to a T and you feel let down that you came up with it, or when it makes absolutely zero sense. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know which one I, of those is more frustrating. I think um, I think when you predict it right, like when you're way too good at it, like because on my show, like I, I do it way too good. Um <laughs> And that's why now I just go, no, I'm, I go, like, shoot to the moon. Who cares? That's what that's what I do. I, like, I'm trying to fantasy book WrestleMania. I'm like, okay, so what's going to happen is Braun Strowman is going to choose Dean Ambrose as his tag team partner. So t t Dean's going to get his tag team belt back. Then Seth is going to take the Intercontinental title, and then they're both going to interfere in the main event, and we're going to get that Shield reunion that we were gypped out of back in November. That's what I'm... Uh, that's my fantasy booking. Is it going to happen? No way. No. No, no way. There's no way it'll happen. Dean Ambrose isn't good. Um, <laughs> stop it. Dean Ambrose is not a good wrestler at all. He's, he's not. And me and uh, me and my wife have this ongoing joke, this ongoing argument. It's like, uh, is he wrestling in pajama jeans? Yeah. Like, did he just straight up go to CVS and buy the stretchy pajama he's, jeans and he, that's his thing? He buys them the same place Shawn Michaels buys his. Um, they all, I don't see how you wear jeans and wrestle. Um it's it's a weird thing because they're so skin tight. Yeah, uh, they're not like K. Well, K. Quick, uh, R. Shoots uh, pants, which well, are or, baggy, and, and like John Cena wears the jorts. He's got yeah. the baggy jorts. Like he's not like he's not at risk for chafing, which is also uncomfortable. It's got to be because the ridge is on the side. You hit it the wrong way, that hurts. Yeah. But then again, I could be just out of shape. And like, and God forbid, he like forgets to take something out of his pocket, and he like lands on his car keys. Yeah. Like that could be a six month injury. But go down to Alabama and see their specialist. It's a better optic for them in the back. Because um, we were talking about Randy Orton earlier. Randy Orton looks crazy in the back because he's walking around with a jacket on and draws. It doesn't make sense. What are you doing? Yeah, he's, it, he's in his little latex tidy whiteies, yeah. and he's got a he's got a hoodie that he cut the sleeves off himself mm -hmm. because that's the way he rolls. And everyone's like, "This is normal." Yeah, <laughs> this this is how you normally like you arrive to the location 
with that on. Like, even The Rock had, like, even though he was like, oh, yeah, I have these $1,000 Louis Vuitton shirts, he still came up there with, like, fake knockoff Adidas pants. It was like, they were just breakaway pants. Yeah. He could have had real company. One of the things that I tell people who are trying to get into wrestling is they have to accept the heightened reality of, like, this is just the way the world works. Mm -hmm. And you just, if you see something that you think doesn't make sense, just roll with it. Because if you don't, you're going to be asking yourself so many questions that you can't enjoy it. Yeah. There are still some things that, like, I cannot get over and i'm constantly asking myself like why is this a thing why is it this way why are we doing it that way and then i have to tell myself to shut up yeah and it's it's like uh the thing that i love about uh sammy zane is his adherence to the stupid hat Mm -hmm. and one of my one of my things that i'm that i really wish is i just wish they would go with it one step further and have him wrestle in the hat (laughs) yeah go go full stupid yeah, like, just, like because you know, in the old days, in the times of like Yokozuna, and when we were really going like you know hard with it with the Undertaker with the purple gloves, yeah. like they were, they let themselves be silly. They weren't ashamed of the silly. Whereas it seems like now they're just they're a little bit ashamed of what they are and what they're doing. And I f- I feel like they shouldn't be because the people who are watching it have no shame. I've I've long since abandoned any sense of shame that I had about watching professional wrestling. Yeah, I mean. It's- it is what it is. I tell people all the time, whenever it's a Sunday that's wrestling on, don't know. I can't do anything wrestling is today. Yeah, well, I mean, WrestleMania starts at approximately four in the morning on this Sunday. It's going <laughs> to run a full like 32 hours yeah. uh, across multiple time zones. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to block away a full day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's basically what I'm going to do is block away a full day to enjoy it. So um, hopefully whenever I uh, whenever I see you again, whenever I come in to tape next week's show, we're not just looking at each other with that like dull look of just defeat in yeah, our eyes. They did it. It's like they we we thought maybe they wouldn't but they did it they do they always do it they do it every year why do i keep coming back like i need to get a support group or something so uh again thank you to everybody who tuned in i'm sorry if you're not big wrestling fans again this is pop and schlag live on houston uh kpft 90.1 fm this is the hd2 stream i'm gonna leave you that's the hardest way to say that that is the hardest kpft houston hd2 Okay, I'm just I'm just looking at the new sign. Look, okay, I'm I'm gonna Ronda Rousey at the sign. I'm just yeah, that I'm, doesn't work on radio. That doesn't work on radio. No. Although I'm Facebook Live in this, mm-hmm. um, so I'm gonna take us out with uh, a little bit of nostalgia. It's the the number one single off of John Cena's old album, Bad Bad Man. If you haven't heard it, it is an instant classic. Thank you for joining us.